WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. According to the CDC, over a million Americans are affected with salmonella. Today we're joined by Zoe Hansen to talk to us about her research regarding salmonella. Zoe, can you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Zoe Hansen. Um, I'm a third-year PhD student in the Department of Microbiology and Molecular Genetics at uh, Michigan State University. I'm currently in Dr. Shannon Manning's lab, and there I actually investigate how foodborne infection, um, which can be caused by bacteria like salmonella, can influence our human gut microbiome. We recently had another interviewee on the Sci-Files that studied a foodborne bacteria known as C. jejuni. How is that different from salmonella? So C. jejuni, um, also called Campylobacter, uh, is another type of foodborne pathogen. And so both Salmonella and Campylobacter act as these bacteria that can infect our guts. Um, So they actually have a lot of similarities, uh, but they are technically different species and different genuses. How can someone contract Salmonella? So Salmonella, being a foodborne infection, uh, occurs when certain foods are contaminated with this particular bacteria. And so this can occur um, with salmonella or campylobacter like we've talked about, but also other types of bacteria like E. coli, uh, which we have all probably heard about before, um, or even uh, shigella is another big one that we study in our lab. And so this type of infection occurs when we have contaminated foods and we ingest those foods and they make us sick. So salmonella is a foodborne pathogen. Are there any other ways that it can be spread? Like, can it be spread between human and human contact? So actually, we don't see a lot of human-to-human spread of these foodborne infections. Usually when people uh, in one area get infected, it's because they've had shared exposure to that contaminant, or there are surfaces that actually have this bacteria on them, um, and then people will touch their mouths or they'll somehow ingest that bacteria but we don't usually see that people transmit these infections to each other. In regards to salmonella, how are you studying the bacteria and what property are you trying to understand about it? So in my research, I don't actually look at one type of bacteria like salmonella, but I look at how those types of infections that are caused by salmonella or campylobacter, for example, how they influence our human gut microbiome or all of the microbes present in our digestive tract. Um, and learning how these infectious bacteria are influencing that particular bacterial community um, is just a really interesting topic that I've focused on. The gut microbiome has so much within it. How are you able to organize all of this information, and do you focus on a particular part of the gut microbiome? You're totally right. The microbiome is a very complex and big idea. And some ways that we're starting to sort it out is by using uh, the genetic information that is present in those particular communities. And so when I say that, we can actually take samples, take poop samples, and extract the DNA, extract the genetic information that's present in that particular sample, and we can use that information to determine which bacteria are there, uh, what types of genes they have, or what types of things they can do as well as different types of metabolites or different types of chemicals that they can produce um, that actually can help us um, and can help our bodies stay healthy. Okay, so you're studying the whole gut microbiome as a whole instead of a single pathogen. Exactly. Um, Instead of looking at one particular bacteria, I'm really interested in looking at all of our bacteria in our gut and what that can mean for 
that particular environment. Everybody has a different gut microbiome, and it usually depends on what they eat, and it could change the environment inside there. Do you take this difference in the gut microbiomes into consideration whenever you're performing these studies? That's a really good question, and it's very relevant to how we consider these differences between microbiomes. Um, So what I've actually done in my study, I'm comparing the microbiomes of people who were infected with these foodborne pathogens that we've talked about, and then healthy family members um, that didn't have these infections that are supposedly um, very healthy and would act as kind of control samples. And so one of the assumptions we make in my study is that people of the same family will have relatively similar diets and so hopefully have a more similar baseline microbiome um, so that we can more easily compare between those particular samples. But you're completely right in saying that diet is a big influencer of our microbiome and it can change um, as frequently as day-to-day or even meal-to-meal. How many samples do you get from a patient? Do you look at the changes in their gut microbiome over time? So in my particular study, we only have one instant in time. We have one single sample from each patient or healthy family member. Unfortunately, we aren't able to look at that over time because it's just one sample, but that would really empower our ability to kind of track these changes um, due to infection over time. Do you perform this work in a wet lab or is there any other tools that you use? I actually don't do a lot of wet lab myself. In order to get the sample, we do need to do some collection and DNA extraction to get the genetic material. But once we have that genetic material, a lot of the analysis is actually very computational. And so a lot of my job is just to work on a computer to sort through all of the data that we have and to make it into a nice story. Whenever people say bioinformatics, there's so many different things that come to mind. Like, are you trying to create a network of these genes, or what do you specifically analyze when you're trying to compute this? So once we have our DNA sequences, there's a lot of different directions that we can go. I'm specifically looking for uh, genes that encode antibiotic resistance, meaning that they allow these bacteria to survive despite us trying to kill them with antibiotics. So these particular genes... Um, enable these mechanisms in bacteria that allow them to do this. And so that's what I'm really interested in. And in order to get at that information, we have to use our sequences to kind of determine which genes are there, and we can extract those genes and do a lot of different things with them. Um, There are a lot of different types of analyses. It sounds like it's a lot like putting together a puzzle and trying to understand what the big picture is of it. What type of computational analyses are you doing anyways? I'm really interested in looking at which antibiotic resistance genes are present in patient samples as well as healthy control samples. If those are really different, we might actually see that infection does influence uh, antibiotic resistance in the human gut. And this could have many different types of implications um, in the clinic and in public health. You had mentioned earlier that you were getting samples from family members. Do family members have different antibiotic resistance genes since they're related? So it's very possible that uh, healthy family members will have similar resistance genes to each other. And this is because, again, family members can have very similar microbiomes. And so in having similar bacteria within the microbiomes, it's possible that those bacteria will have similar resistance genes as well. Um, However, it's also possible that there are differences, and that can depend on if a certain family member received antibiotic treatment. Uh, Being treated with this antibiotic can actually create this selective pressure, or it can kind of uh, initiate this 
selection for bacteria that are able to survive despite that treatment. And so sometimes because of that, depending on if you've gotten antibiotics in the past, those resistance genes in your gut microbiome can be different. Are there any ways that people out there can eat certain foods that can increase the likelihood that the gut microbiome bacteria will have these antibiotic-resistant genes? Usually, we don't see that diet will influence the presence or absence of antibiotic resistance. Um, Antibiotic resistance develops when bacteria are treated with uh, antibiotics because some bacteria have a specific mutation or a special ability to survive despite that treatment. And so usually we don't see the development of these particular um, abilities unless there is this, what's called a selective pressure, um, that's kind of forcing bacteria into this trajectory or into this development. Right, because I just realized actually that you want to find that these bacteria aren't developing these antibiotic-resistant genes so that way these treatments can continue to maintain their effectiveness. Exactly. We really don't want antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Unfortunately, we can't keep up with them. Um, They're becoming a real problem. And part of that is because antibiotics are used um, for the wrong reasons. Sometimes they're not used properly. Um, And so it's really important that we uh, keep our eye on these antibiotic-resistant bacteria because we want to stay ahead of them as much as we can. Are there any other ways that you can treat this other than by using antibiotics? So if a particular pathogen has developed antibiotic resistance, it is possible to treat them with a different type of antibiotic because just because a bacteria can resist one type of drug doesn't mean it can necessarily uh, resist all of them, which is good for us. Uh, If that were to happen, that would be very scary. And there are a couple of microbes that can do that. Um, We're keeping our eye on them, of course. But there are a number of other therapies aside from antibiotics that are currently being developed uh, by people all across Uh, the field. And so this can include uh, phage therapy. And so there are special types of viruses that actually attack bacteria. So that's uh, something that's in development. Uh, But there are a number of other things that are being looked into as well, which is promising. Thanks a lot for that comprehensive view about your research, Zoe. I actually know Zoe from a number of different things that we're involved in on campus together. But Zoe, could you please tell our listeners what you do outside of research? Yeah, Um, Outside of my work, I really enjoy advocating for women in science, and so I'm actually very involved in our local chapter of Graduate Women in Science. Um, I'm actually the vice president right now, which is pretty fun. Um, I've also co-chaired Girls Math and Science Day, uh, which is an annual event where we invite middle school girls to campus for a fun-filled day of STEM-themed activities led by our very own scientists here on campus. Graduate Women in Science, or as we call it, GWIZ, has been a great way for me to stay involved and do a lot of outreach and meet some very fantastic women um, across campus here at MSU. Uh, So that's one of the few things I do. Um, I'm also a representative in the Council of Graduate Students. uh, So it's it's been very interesting to see kind of these behind the scenes uh, works of these graduate students who are putting so much time and effort into making our experience Uh, just very enriched here at MSU. It's very awesome, honestly. (laughs) It's commendable that you're doing all this work to advocate for the rights of women in STEM, for example. But with all of these different activities that you got going on, what are you interested in pursuing after you're done with your doctorate program? (laughs) 
That's a very good question. Um, honestly, I've so enjoyed doing so much of this outreach that I'd really like to find a way to continue a sort of mentorship position or some sort of community engagement. Um, and I haven't quite figured out what exactly that's going to look like, but I have interests in uh, a few different fields, whether that's uh, kind of a public health based uh, community engagement effort. I've also considered looking into science policy and doing more of a science communication role in a policy or legislative setting. Um, overall, I just really like the opportunity to kind of share science and share research with people who might be interested but might not have that particular field of expertise. Out of all of these things that you've participated in, what has been the activity that you find the most memorable? Oh, that's a tough question. Uh, honestly, I've really enjoyed being able to help out with Girls Math and Science Day every year. Uh, this has been my third year helping out with it. And every year it just, you know, all the hard work pays off by just seeing these middle school girls have the time of their lives, uh, you know, doing STEM activities and getting to know scientists. They just look so excited and that kind of just keeps me going. So that's definitely been a highlight. To our listeners who are considering going into science, what advice do you have for them, particularly girls in science? I would say don't let anyone tell you that you can't do math, you can't do science. Uh, if you love it and you want to pursue it, you have to go for it. Be fearless and just dive in. There's so much cool stuff out there and you just have to believe in yourself and believe that you really want to do it and you're going to get there and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today, Zoe, to talk to us about your research and sharing with us your experiences. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed coming on the Sci-Files and talking to both of you. The Sci-Files is hosted by Chelsea Voodoo and Daniel Puentes for Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Sophie Sagan, program director, Amber Konutsky, station manager, Joe Dandron, and general manager, Jeremy Whiting. This show, as well as the entire Impact 89FM podcast lineup, can be found online at impact89fm.org or by searching for The Sci-Files on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on the Sci-Files, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at sci-files at impact89fm.org. See you next week on Sci-Files. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science.